0: Would you just lift your hands to the Lord this morning? Would you just say one simple word to the Lord this morning? Yes. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I say yes, oh God. Whatever you call, whatever you ask, whatever you desire, we say yes, Lord, this morning. Simple prayer, simple declaration. We say yes. We say yes. Father, as we uh, begin a journey talking about the Holy Spirit today, the important thing is that God, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, people want to understand the Holy Spirit. They want to know how does the Holy Spirit work? How does how do I receive Holy Spirit? How do I? There's so many questions people have. The answer to most of them is simply yes. If, we'll become, if we will come before the presence of the Lord and say yes to God, yes to Holy Spirit, yes to your plans, yes to your desire. And God, you can work through us by your Spirit when our posture is yes. When our posture is no, Father, then that stops the flow of what you want to do in and through our life. So God, as we go through the next number of weeks together, would you help us to have a default setting in our life of yes to Holy Spirit. Father, things we don't know, things we don't understand, we just simply say yes to you, Lord. Yes to you, to your word, to your will. Yes, yes, yes. And Father, we thank you today that God, you said yes to us so we can say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much, worship team. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So we're starting off, we're going to talk about the, the person, the work of Holy Spirit from now right through until Pentecost Sunday, which is May 28th. On that day, amen? Come on. Now on that day, we're going to get together with all the churches in the city again at Maranatha that night on the 28th. And we're going to have an awesome time of celebration together. And the week leading up to Pentecost Sunday, we're going to be having 24-hour prayer in most of the churches throughout the city. We're going to be praying for God 24 hours a day. We're looking at how we can set that up here and how we can make that happen, but we're committing to that process. Whether we have you praying at home or have you praying here in the building, we're going to be getting people to sign up to commit 24-hour prayer so that we culminate on the 28th with asking the Holy Spirit to move in our city. Amen? Amen. It's going to be fantastic. You don't want to miss out on it. Make sure you're ready and you're expecting and you're able to say yes to God. Amen? Can we just thank uh, Pastor Mark for his versatility? He was on camera today. Come on, put your hands together for him. But i got to tell you, I don't want to see Mark on camera. I want to see other volunteers on camera. So uh, thank you for your willing heart there, Mark. But we need... It brings us to this point that we need more volunteers. Amen? And so, if you are able to point and shoot, then you, we can probably teach you how to do it. It's not that complicated, but uh, we need help. And thanks for Mark pinch hinting today, but uh, we need your help. Amen? Well, today's week one, and today I've titled this message Who is Holy Spirit and Where Does He Dwell? Who is Holy Spirit and Where Does He Dwell? So, Father, we just thank you for your word today. We, Lord, ask that, God, you would help us as we look at the scripture to understand the Holy Spirit today. Father, we thank you that, Lord, it's clearly in your scripture. So, Lord, we want to understand what your word says. And we ask, Lord, for you to guide me, Lord, uh, guide my lips, my heart as I proclaim your scripture today. And, Father, open hearts to receive, in Jesus' name, amen. 1989, it's going back a ways, I had an offer proposed to me just before Christmas that I could go to Israel, and I think it was for only $350, go for a week. It's called a pastor's orientation tour. So you go to Israel for basically five, six days, and every morning that you're in Israel, you do a whole day's tour, and every afternoon you do a whole day's tour. You basically run where Jesus walked. And you carry that whole thing for a whole week and then you get, the idea is that you'd come home and then you'd bring a, a church uh, uh, tour over. So, you know, I, I had this opportunity to do that or I could get this, you know, boom box which I had asked for for Christmas. And it didn't take me long to decide when the offer for Israel came up that I'd, I'd take Israel, not the stereo. So, uh, I took Israel, not the stereo, never did get the stereo by the way, uh, but um, went to Israel that year with Dale Hiscock. And if you are thinking about Dale this week, we'd ask you to pray for him. He's heading over to Asia. He's going to be doing, spending time in India and other parts of Asia, doing pastor's training school and stuff like that. And he just really covets your prayers because some of the countries he's going to are restricted access nations. And so he just asks for your prayers that God will basically hide him from the authorities but expose him to the people who are hungry for God. Amen. So remember him in your prayers this week. That would be great. So Dale and I, we headed over in 89, and here's, there's an impression that of all the stuff that happened on the trip, the mo- thing that left the greatest impression was on the plane flying over. So we're, we're flying from uh, Montreal, heading across uh, with LL Airlines, Israeli Airlines, and as we start heading uh, you know, east, and we start getting over the Atlantic Ocean, and, and the sun comes up, and as soon as the sun came up, Devout Jews all over the plain got out of their seats, donned their prayer shawls, and in the aisles were on their faces before God, facing Solomon's temple in Jerusalem. All over the plain, it just astounded me that the, they were out and they were, they were praying and, and they were uh, facing Jerusalem and they were praying. Now, you know, when this happens, you're thinking, man, that is, that is devout, that is commitment But then you get thinking, well, why do they do this? Why do they pray facing east? Why do they pray facing Jerusalem? And maybe today, to you and I, it seems like a bit of a silly practice, but for them, they remember the dedication of Solomon's temple and the place that Solomon built where God would dwell. And to this day, the Wailing Wall, if you've ever seen pictures of it in Jerusalem, the Wailing Wall is the outer wall of Solomon's temple. So the, the Muslims have built a mosque on the Temple Mount, but the Wailing Wall is still in Israeli's quarter, and so the Jews go and they pray, and they they lay their hands on that wall, and they pray uh, in that courtyard every single day. And as you go there, you'll see all kinds of little pieces of paper rolled up and stuck into the wall of things that people are praying about, things that they're believing God for, and they're sticking it into the wall, leaving that place, uh, having left that prayer with the Lord in that wall. Why do the Jews pray facing Jerusalem? Well, we're going to do a little bit of history about that to help you understand, and it's going to lead us to the work of Holy Spirit in the church today, and that's what God's going to show us today. I want you to turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 40, Exodus chapter 40, and we're going to start reading at verse uh, 33, Exodus 40, chapter 40, verse 33. It's the second book of the Old Testament for those that maybe are new to the Scripture, Exodus chapter 40, verse 33. It says, Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar and put up the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard, and so Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it, And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the house of Israel during all their travels." Until this day in Israel, when Moses finished building the tabernacle of the Lord, if you'd asked Moses, where does God dwell, he probably would have said, well, you know, if if he said to have dwelled anywhere here on earth, it would be on the top of Mount Horeb, the Mount of God. But now that he's finished completing the tabernacle according to the designs of the Lord, God showed his pleasure with Moses' obedience and with the completion of the tabernacle, and the cloud of the Lord settled upon it, and whenever God wanted the Israelites to move, the cloud would lift, and they would take, disassemble the tabernacle, follow the cloud, and follow the cloud by day, and a fire that was in the cloud by night, and then they would settle in another place, and they would reestablish establish the, the, the uh, tabernacle with its tent barriers and stuff around it, and they would reestablish wherever that was. Now, understand that Moses, if you'd asked him, you know, does God dwell... In the tabernacle, he'd say, yes, but he would also, like every Jew, say that God is also everywhere, right? There was an understanding uh, that God is an omnipresent being, that God is everywhere. It's not like they, they somehow didn't think that God was everywhere, and now he was only in this cloud or in the tabernacle, but they also understood that somehow God was manifest in a particular way, in a particular space of time and the tabernacle. And that it was represented by this cloud that hovered over the tabernacle and a fire that was in the cloud by night. And that is how they were literally led by the Lord in their journeys through the wilderness until they settled in the land of Canaan. So now when you, you see this in Scripture and you read this, you're like, hmm, that's interesting. And then you think to yourself, how do they not understand understand the Trinity when they see a manifestation of it like that right in front of them. They believe that God is everywhere, but they also see the manifest presence of God in this cloud and this fire with the tabernacle as they follow uh, the leading of the Lord in their journeys. What was significant about the tabernacle? Well, the design of it was given to Moses by the Lord. And when he completed it, detail by detail, as the Lord told him to do, as he prepped it for the purpose of being a habitation of the Lord's presence, and he completed that work, the Bible says that he set the courtyard and the tabernacle and the altar up and the curtain at the entrance of the courtyard, and he finished his work, and immediately the cloud descended upon it. God gave Moses specific instructions because God would only dwell in a place that was built specifically for Him, that was dedicated to Him. When we hear the word holy, we often think of purity, right? It's probably the first definition that comes into our mind when someone says, oh, that person's so holy. We think, oh, wow, that means they never do anything wrong, right? But the first definition of the word holy is not purity. The first definition of the word holy is set apart, So when the tabernacle of the Lord was holy, it doesn't mean it never sinned. It's an inanimate object. It was holy because it was set apart for the Lord. I remember the first time I heard someone explain this definition. It was Tommy Barnett. And he was standing up preaching and he said, this is my holy suit. I looked at him and said, holy suit? How can you have a holy suit? And he said, it's a holy suit. He said, because this suit, I don't do anything in this suit but preach. I don't wear it to weddings, I don't wear it to family outings, this is a suit set aside purely for the ministry of the gospel, it's holy, it's set aside unto the Lord. Well that's the same definition of holiness that the scripture is using here to describe the tabernacle, it's holy, it's a holy place because it was set aside for one purpose and one purpose only, that was to minister in the presence of the Lord. Does everybody follow that? And so if we understand that that's the first definition of holy, then we understand what was happening when God built the tabernacle. He built a place, or Moses established a place according to God's design, where God would see this as set aside completely for him, holy for him, and he would use that place to meet with them, direct them, and lead them as a people. So all through their travels then, Whenever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle and moved ahead, they would disassemble it, follow the Lord, and when it stopped, they would reestablish and they would follow the presence of the Lord. Does everybody understand what I'm saying today? Got it? All right. So now let's fast forward a little bit in history. Okay? What happens is Moses finally led the people into the land of Canaan. And then, apparently from Scripture, the cloud lifted, the fire was gone, the, uh, the manna stopped coming from heaven because they were in the land of promise. They were in the land of Canaan. But now we go forward many, many years and, and Israel now has a king, right? King Solomon. And, and Solomon hears uh, from the Lord that God wants to declare again his presence amongst his people. And so Solomon gets it in his heart that he wants to build a place for the Lord. A place that would be like the tabernacle of old that would be there for God to dwell in His manifest presence. And so now if we move forward to 1 Kings chapter 8, so you've got to move forward a little bit more in your Old Testament. 1 Kings chapter 8, all right? And verse 10. It says, When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord. This is on the day of the dedication. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in a dark cloud. I have indeed built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. While the whole assembly of Israel was standing there, the king turned around and he blessed them. Solomon hadn't intended the temple to be a place for man. He built it as a place for God to dwell by his spirit. And so again, I don't think Solomon was under any delusion that God is not omnipresent. He believed that God was everywhere. But he also understood that God in some way, in his monotheistic, meaning that there's only one God. He still understood that God could somehow be located in time and space in the temple. And he built it for the Lord, a place for God to dwell And the Lord showed up and the cloud filled the place so greatly that the priests who were in there making sacrifices and were doing their uh, ritual duties in the presence of the Lord couldn't continue to work because of the presence of the Lord that rested on the temple that day. Now, when you think about God, dwelling or localized in time and space, it seems like a weird thing for us because we're very much in our present day age aware that God is a spirit and God is everywhere. But we have to wrap our brain around the fact that God was also in the tabernacle and God now is also in the temple. So now I want to move forward a little further again in history. We're just going to... And now we're going to come to the day of our Savior's crucifixion. And I want you to look in Matthew chapter 27, so now you're going to the first book of the New Testament, so flip forward. Matthew chapter 27, Matthew 27, and verse 50. I apologize, my throat's a little sore today, so I'll keep slurping water throughout to keep going. How many of you ever went to the dentist and you felt worse after you got it than when you went in? You You ever have that experience? So I had when I was in Costa Rica, I had it both my wife and I, we do everything together. Uh, I had one of my teeth break in half in the back on this side, and she had the same thing happen on the other side. So she went and got fixed the one week, and then I went back to the dentist the next week and got this side fixed and So ever since then i 've lost most of my hearing in this ear. It feels like it 's full of water all the time, and i can 't open my mouth very wide, so i 'm shoving food into a little opening like this. And, uh, and, and now it's kind of moving down into my throat. And I'm like, this doesn't seem like a particularly good thing. I don't know about you, but um, I think maybe I might have to strike Dennis off my list or something. I don't know. So anyway, it's kind of weird. But how many know it's a long way from her, as my dad used to say, so uh, I shouldn't complain. All right. Where was I? Oh, yeah, Matthew chapter 27, verse 50. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, everybody say, At that moment, moment. the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. So Jesus dies. And at the moment that Jesus died, that his blood sacrifice was paid, the final blood sacrifice that would ever need to be paid for sin was paid. The veil tore from the top to the bottom. That's the same veil that was in Solomon's temple that was erected when Solomon built it according to the dedication directions of the Lord and had been in place ever since. And behind that veil is where the priest went only once a year to make sacrifice on behalf of the people and they used to tie a rope around him so that if he went in there and he died because there was something in his life or whatever, they could drag him back out. That's how holy this place was. And so now we see the temple, though, torn from the top to the bottom. What does that mean? What does that mean? This is probably the most significant event that happened, other than the resurrection, around the events of the Holy Week and and Christ's death and resurrection. Many sermons have preached about the fact that God was saying, by tearing the curtain from the top to bottom, that all men now had access to the throne of God because of the spotless lamb, the completed work of Christ. The role of the priest was forever done. We now had a high priest, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. But I believe there's something else going on here. I believe there's something else that God is telling us here. I believe the message that God is sending to the world is that he would no longer dwell in a temple made with human hands. He would only dwell in the temple of the human heart. That God was no longer to be said to be in Solomon's temple. He now is in me, the temple of the Lord. Does everybody follow what I'm saying? I believe that that's what God was declaring when he tore that curtain from top to bottom. Not only do we have access to God, but God now dwells in us, not in Solomon's temple. So how does, again, we know God's everywhere, but he also dwells in me? Hmm. Hmm. Hmm, I have to try and understand that the same way I understood God was everywhere but in the tabernacle and in the temple, now He's in me. Now, if God was saying by tearing the curtain from the top to the bottom of the temple that He now was going to dwell in a different temple, there was now a new place to be dedicated for His glory and for His honor, well, where was the smoke? Where was the fire? Wasn't there smoke and fire? uh at the tabernacle? Wasn't there smoke at the temple? Where is it? Well, the answer to that question came in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. As the church gathered together, the same uh, elements that brought the manifest presence of God or represented the manifest presence of God in the Old Testament showed up on the day of Pentecost in the New Testament. As these new temples of the Lord, people who now had encountered the risen Christ, gathered 120 strong in the upper room, Holy Spirit was poured out upon them in that room, and the Bible says that a mighty rushing wind came into the room, and then cloven tongues of fire set down on each and every one of them, and that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. God was confirming that his spirit would no longer dwell in a building, but was going to occupy the hearts of men and women. And he was going to dwell in us. Yes, he was always everywhere, but he manifests himself in a, in a place. The place is now us. Does everybody hear what I'm saying this morning? Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 4 says this When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. God established, both individually and collectively, that we are the temple of God. And He confirmed it with the same sign Of Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Now you might be saying, Well, why isn't there every time someone, you know, encounters the Holy Spirit today, why isn't there cloven tongues of fire? Well, the same reason there wasn't a cloud over Solomon's temple the whole time. God demonstrated his pleasure with his new house on the day of the dedication of the temple, just as he did on the day of Pentecost with you and I. And this idea that we are now the temple of God is confirmed all throughout Scripture in the New Testament. Listen to some of these verses. 1 Corinthians 3, 16, 17. Don't you know, Paul says, that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is sacred, and you... Everybody say, me. You are that temple. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not of your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Why? Why do we honor God with our body? Because it's the temple of the Lord. Amen? 2 Corinthians 6, 16. What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. He lives in us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 to 22. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord and in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit where who is the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit is God Father, Son and Holy Spirit and we'll get into more detail of that next week but it's important for us to start this week by understanding where does Holy Spirit dwell in the temple of God but now not a temple of Old Testament creation, not a a mobile temple called a tabernacle wandering through the desert, not a building in Jerusalem, but he dwells in this temple called me, called you. And I love that last verse in Ephesians because it points out that the temple is also plural. He dwells not just in the individual temple, but he dwells in us, a temple that's being built together in him that God dwells in our midst collectively. One of the reasons we should gather together as often as we can as the body of Christ is so that we fulfill the temple calling of God, that we are His people and He moves in us collectively and we're powerful when we're together. Amen. Amen? Amen? We're powerful when we're together. So how will God show His pleasure with His temple today? I believe He'll do it the same way He did it on the day of Pentecost that he will show up with power, that he will show up and demonstrate his his pleasure with us by enabling us to fulfill the work that he's given to us. And we're going to talk more about that. We're going to talk about all kinds of wonderful, wonderful things as we uh, investigate the work of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about, you know, things people ask me all the time, what is the work of Holy Spirit? How does he accomplish this work through the body? Uh, What are the gifts of the Spirit? How do the gifts of the Spirit work? What is my spiritual gift? All kinds of questions that people ask me all the time. But before we get to those, we have to understand that the Holy Spirit lives within us. That if you're a Christian, the Bible says the Spirit of God lives within you. But, But don't I have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? We'll get to that. We'll get to that. But understand, if you're, if you're a believer, if you've received Christ as your Savior, the Bible says He comes and He lives within us by His Spirit. Amen? And it doesn't matter whether you call yourself Pentecostal, you call yourself Baptist, or you call yourself, you know, Orthodox. I don't care. If you've, if you've given your life to Christ, He lives in us by His Spirit. He dwells in us, the temple of God. And that when we get together and we work together, and we present before the Lord a corporate temple, a corporate body, God is able to do amazing, amazing things. And so over the next number of weeks, we're going to investigate all all those kinds of questions. We're going to look at all this stuff, and we're we're going to dive right into the Scripture concerning the work and the person of the Holy Spirit. But we're we're also going to Uh, have opportunity for you to receive from the Lord every week. We're going to be praying for people to receive uh, the gifts of the Spirit, for people to receive their baptism in the Holy Spirit. We're going to be praying for people to experience and be able to ask God for new direction and new gifts and and new things that God wants to bring to us by the power of Holy Spirit. And we're going to engage in that collectively together as a body. It's going to be a lot of fun. I don't know about you, but I like receiving gifts. Do you like receiving gifts? If you don't, go see your therapist. Something wrong with you, you know? Uh, But I like to receive gifts, and so I believe the Lord has gifts that he wants to literally give out abundantly to his body, and we're going to receive those over the next number of weeks. Amen? So what I want you to do, I want you to, two things. First of all, if you have questions about the Holy Spirit, right, right? I mean, don't just write down 50 questions that mean, but, but you know, have mercy on me, okay? But, but ones that have been, you know, you really want to understand something and it's been bothering you for for years. I want you to write it down and I want you to send it to the church, email it, all right, to the church and or hand it to me in a piece of paper. I don't care, but it'll get to me. And and I would love to be able to tackle those questions for you. I'm more than happy to do that. We've got a number of weeks to take that on. So I would like to be able to do that. And so, um, I'd be, I'd be happy to try and address any question that you might have regarding the Holy Spirit. So, you know, that means you're not going to ask me about, you know. Uh, now, when Jesus is going to come back, is it going to be during the, the, the first half of the tribulation or the second half of the tribulation? That's not the questions I'm looking for this time, all right? This is questions about the Holy Spirit, okay? Not about the eschatology or anything else like that. So, this is questions about the work of the Holy Spirit. If you've got them, write them down uh, Get them to me, either by email or hand them to me. I would love to be able to address those. Also, I want you to come every week hungry for the Lord. All right? Spend some time in prayer and fasting. Say, God, I would really like to encounter the Holy Spirit in a new and fresh way. And, and I believe that as our church becomes a, a temple of God's Spirit collectively, not just individually, but collectively as well, man, God is going to be able to do great things. God has always been able to do wonderful things through a people that say yes to Him. Amen? Amen. So I want you to stand with me this morning. Kids, you guys have been great today. But since I knew you were in here today, Pastor's been also a little shorter today, too. (laughs) But uh, it's so good to have you, and we're looking forward to you guys having your space back. You guys are going to love it. It's going to be awesome, it's going to be great. And, uh, and we're just going to pray for Holy Spirit to be released in the kids' unit, too. That uh, I was looking at the, through the pictures, and saw all those pictures of our kids in, in, in children's church with their hands raised, worshiping the Lord, and I said, Father, we just want to see fresh fire poured out on our kids as well. Amen? Amen? Amen. So, Father, we just thank you today that we know the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Father, you're not in a tabernacle in the wilderness, and you're not dwelling in a temple in Jerusalem, Father, you dwell in the hearts of men and women all over this planet, and that, Father, you make yourself known through your church, through your bride, through your people. And, Father, we ask today that, Lord, you would, you would show us uh, fresh from the Scripture what the work of Holy Spirit is to be in our lives. That, Father, we would hunger for a fresh move of the Spirit of God in our midst. That, Lord, we would be so directed by the Holy Spirit that, God, we would see signs and wonders. That we would see miracles every day. That, Father, your presence would be manifest in and through us every single day of the week. That the Holy Spirit's not at work just on Sunday, but he is at work Monday through Saturday as well. And, Father, he works through us as we go boldly where you tell us to go every day in our community. Father, we thank you for your presence here today, and we give you praise, and we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Next Sunday, Jersey Day. Do not forget. We're going to have a party in the house of the Lord, and uh, we're going to go on to part two of the Holy Spirit.